Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast on masculinity with Manon Inverclyde. We're going to feature a couple of segments on this podcast. First and foremost, we're going to be previewing the footballing season ahead and linking that in with masculinity and mental health. And we're joined in that section by a couple of local guys previewing their team's chances and hopes for the season ahead. The man on Inverclyde isn't a, a football charity or community interest company as such. However, it's a, a shared interest that a lot of the guys have and something that's very important. So we wanted to shed some light on that. But our most important feature um, of this podcast features an in-depth interview with UWS professor Ross Duker. Now Ross is a criminology professor and specialises in a range of subjects which you're going to hear from but very interesting to catch up with them and have the links between masculinity and mental health. Now in this podcast we are going to be talking about some sensitive subjects particularly linking things with suicide. If you are struggling seek out for professional help but it is good to link the two and have a chat about masculinity and the, the link that that provides with the higher suicide rates in males. So yeah, hopefully you enjoy the podcast and thanks again for, for tuning in for another episode. Right, so I'm now joined uh, by the guys that I was mentioning at the, the start uh, of the podcast in the intro. So we've got three guys with us uh, who's going to obviously have a chat about the season ahead. Um, and first guy is Martin from Morton. Mick from Celtic and Willie from Rangers. If you could pick two names for uh, people for Celtic or Rangers, then you'd probably pick that. So, <laughs> hi. First and foremost, lads, um, before we go on a bit of football, I uh, just wanted to check in how you are how you're getting on. So, Martin, how's things with yourself, mate? Aye, all good, mate. All good. Back at work now, so it's a bit more normal than what it was with lockdown, but aye, quite happy. Good, my man. Good stuff. <laughs> Mick, how's things with yourself? Aye, all good, mate. Um, quite hectic as always. Um, obviously, a lot going on with man on as well, as you know. So, aye, everything's really good, buddy. Good, good. And Willie, at least how's things, mate? Aye, mate, I'm the same. Back at work, so we better normality back, just waiting patiently for the February start. Right. <laughs> just now. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. So, we'll get straight into it. Obviously, I'd say that to start, there's a big, massive link between. Fitback in our area, obviously, in our mental health and the fact that it's something that can be good for us. It brings people together. Um, and it's been it's been a, a while um, for we kind of have waited on it. We'll go to um, Mick first. Uh, I wonder why, Chris. I wonder why we're going to me first. For the season ahead, um, obviously, <laughs> you guys were won or were handed the title or whatever, whatever way you want to look at it. You just ahead when we went into lockdown, so... Uh, ultimately, we were quite far ahead, Chris. We were quite far ahead. Let's be fair here. Come on. You were. You were. So, <laughs> how, are you, how are you feeling about? Uh, how are you feeling first of all about uh, Fatback coming back? Um, I'm excited, mate. Um, same as most people. Just I'm buzzing to actually watch it again, whether there's fans there or not. It's just good to have have your Fatback back. Um, you know the teams that we support. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, again, it's it's been a long time coming. It's been quite a few months since we've had it. So even watching the pre-season, uh, the friendlies, I was. Quite interested in it, so hi, it's really good. Aye, good mate, good. And obviously, season ahead, what's your predictions for your team? Um, yeah, I'm always going to back my own team. Um, I think just because we've been and done it so much over the last couple, of, the last couple of years in particular, just kind of winning everything. Sorry, mate. Um, but that's just the way, <laughs> the way of it. Um, no, I'm quite confident. I think we've got a few more signings coming in as well. So, um, I think the the pressures on you is no, as we've gotten in back, mate, we're quite good. <laughs> so in terms of your signings obviously I'll go through each of and ask the same kind of questions but signings obviously you guys have made some moves a day I heard um, Aye. That. so you, you happy with that so far? Mate I would have preferred Big Foster because um, you know, we've, we've had him he's been there and done it so the new the, the Athens keepers might be really good so fingers crossed I'm, I'm, for what I've heard he's a really good keeper and we've got the, the boy that was at West Ham as well so um, maybe one or two more signings to come in, and I think we've got you know pretty a pretty strong squad there already. So it's just a bit of strength and depth that we need. Um, but I so far so far so good, and I'm sure there'll be a few more to come. And hopefully, um, Griffiths is fit as well. But it's obviously it's been a bit of a, a bit of drama with him. So hopefully he's I don't know how he's managed to lose a bit two stone in the space of a week. But um, I we need to wait and see. But I quite quite optimistic. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw a couple of clips for the Hibs game. He actually looked. Um, 
quite fit, to be fair. So I was a bit surprised. Uh, he's hairlined, isn't he? He's hairlined, isn't he? He's hairlined, isn't he? He's fat, Aye, and kind of last question I'll ask you yourself is obviously the, the, the whole thing with no fans and all that was so obviously down in England how that kind of impacted games and stuff like that. How do you think that's going to impact your team having no, no fans at your team stadium or away fans, which sometimes can be better for the players sometimes? I think it will. Be, I think it will have a detriment, a detrimental effect on us. Um, but I think it will be the, the case for most teams. Um, it might be a bit easier for smaller teams when they're coming to Parkhead and they've not got sixty thousand fans to deal with. So I think it will. It, it's not going to be a positive impact, but I think everybody's, you know, everybody's got to deal with it. So I th- hopefully it's not going to be too long. I don't know, you know, when restrictions are going to allow um, any fans, you know, into the stadium. Hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. But again, everybody's got to deal with it. So we've just got to, got to go on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, league prediction for yourself is a number. Um. Well, I think other than I think St. Mirren are going to be up there now. No. So I think uh, no. Celtic's got. We've got it. So Celtic number. Number one. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Sorry. No, no. That's your your opinion, my man, and that's what it's. So I can see the tension building on here already. So I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> quite. <laughs> I think we're all these reasons. So we'll move to we'll move to to Willie. Um, obviously, Willie, um, you're representing Rangers, uh, and and this one, um, obviously, I've mentioned on a couple of podcasts before. I'm a Rangers fan as well, but I'll try and stay impartial and be like, um, I don't know who's a TV presenter that does a Sky Sports these days, David Panner or something like that. Andy Walker, I said impartial. Aye, so I'll, I'll stay impartial. Um, so. Well, obviously, big season ahead for Rangers, um, given the fact that, obviously, the way things ended last season and stuff like that. But how, how are you feeling about the, the season ahead? As we every single season, I'm, for some reason, I'm positive. I think we can go and win it. Starts this way every single season, and by about January, we're doing the tubes. But we've got to, this has got to be a year. It's got to be it. Yeah. Well, you never know. You never know. I think, as you said, see, see, end of the day, like, see if you, see if you're a football fan and you don't dream on the first day of the season that it's going to be your year. Do you know what I mean? It's your most strong sport. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to dream, even if it's realistic or unrealistic. So obviously, you're you're, you're hoping it's Rangers year, right? Um, what's your sort of view on signings if there if there even has been that many? Obviously, the the big story is. Uh, Alfredo Morelos potentially going out. So, um, what do you make of that? Thank you. I've made my feelings extremely clear on how I feel about um, <laughs> the best striker in Scottish football leaving. Come on. It'd be bad for Rangers. It'd be bad for Scottish football. He's a tremendous player. But can I, if he goes, can I just interrupt? What was his goal scoring record against Celtic? Sorry, I had to get that in there. How many? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Will it let you do his his bit? Alright. Aye, Morelos. I I agree with you, Willie. I think, obviously, he's a talented wee player. Do you know what I mean? He's obviously not not buried any against Celtic, but there's so many other games that he's pulled Rangers out of holes. And I think it will be a miss for the game because he's an interesting wee character and all, isn't he? Like, he's... You get these strikers that come in or players and that and they come over and they're dead boring, but you don't get a boring minute with a bold Alfredo. He's uh I certainly don't. No, you don't. And other than that, in terms of transfers coming in, um, what's been your sort of point on, on that? Like there's not really been not been much <coughs> happening, isn't there no? No, there's been nothing I know apart from getting uh, Haji permanently, which is after he's shown during the last season that's been a big bonus. Aye. Uh, big boy Calvin Bassey from Leicester looks like a good player, but I don't think we'll see much of him. No, no. Uh, Gerald seems to have his favourites at centre back. Um, Katic getting injured was a big blow, but the boy we got on for Wigan seems to be an experienced player, which should hopefully mm. see his through till Katic is back. Aye, that was a bit of a blow, definitely, him, him getting injured. So, uh, in terms of the, the other question was about how you think it, it's going to be impacted. I've got my own views on a, a fan situation for Ibrooks, um, but what's yours? What, what, do you, what impact do you think that's going to have on the players? The smaller games, I think it will be a positive impact because the first 10 minutes or something, we're all up for it, and then as soon as the first pass gets misplaced, 
for writing Dark Bay Players. And that it's going to cause nervousness. It's going to cause mistakes and stuff they set in. So I think it'll be good for us, to be totally honest. I agree, mate. I totally agree with you. Um, I, I think the players will thrive on it because the atmosphere at Ibrooks, as you say, and not even in the lesser games, like, I'll give you an example, right? See the um, game against Leverkusen. Um, there was people going after nut that Tav wasn't getting close to Kai Havertz and people were saying he was shite. No, Kai, do you know what I mean? Kai Havertz. Yeah, it's just outrageous. It's some of the supporters at Ibrooks, and I'd imagine it's the same everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Some of them are just outrageous the way they treat the players and on the players' backs. So I actually don't think it will be a big miss for us. I think the players will embrace it. But I think away from him, I think the support uh, away from him is, is good. Aye, for we'll him. see a difference there. Aye, so we'll see see how it goes. So <laughs> final one for yourself, mate. What's your uh, league table prediction? I think we're going to win it. I don't want to win it. It's got to be a season. Okay, mate. Okay. So, number one for yourself. So, at some point uh, next year, this will get replayed, obviously, and you know your nine mates are going to give you it stinking one of these because a one of is going to be wrong. So, um, I wonder who. I wonder who. Cheers for that. Um, so, we'll move on to Martin. Obviously, we, we thought we, we, we can't be an Inverclyde podcast. Um, support group and not include Martin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and Martin's quite a well-known Martin fan for the area, so we thought we'd get a celebrity on for a change. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, obviously, your season, I was talking to you the other day, mate, your season's going to start a bit later, obviously, October. Um, I know Fifa had a big thing for you, mate, obviously, with Martin oh. games and stuff like that. So, how you found not having it? It's just boring, isn't it, man? I was in, enjoying the German football and enjoying the Premier League, but it's, it's like, you know, Saturdays are just boring. You just want to go to a pub, go to a game, get back and go to a pub again, stuff like that. So, uh, you're just, just missing all that. But everybody's the same, so can't really be helped. I wish we were starting on Saturday as well as you, but you've got an attitude to it, so. How is that? What, what's, the, what's the reasoning for that? It's uh, a 27-game season, so uh, only we play each other three times. Uh, fixtures are out tomorrow at 10, I think it is. Uh, so you don't even know if you're playing two away games against Hearts and one at home or something like that as well. So I don't know how they're going to do it, but we do it tomorrow. <laughs> aye, aye. Am I right in thinking, I might be wrong on this, but the last time I spoke to you about this was ages ago, you still not been to Tynecastle? Tynecastle and Pataudry's only two I've not been to. And a lot of my pals go to games are the same taste, so I'm hoping to get Hearts when the fans are allowed back in, just for a selfish point of view. So You'll wait. You, I, I can only speak for myself, obviously, but I, I don't know if any other guys have been to think actually watch your team, but it's, it's brilliant, man. It's, it's just I years ago, said it's one of the best, but no, I, I think last time Martin played Hearts, either him or away, was the uh, year I was born, so I not even got each other in the Cups or anything like that, which is weird. Right, but, right. Nice. Good. They're a big club, man, so they'll obviously, if the, if the fans are in and all that at Cabo, they'll bring a big support, but... So I that's uh, that's how things have been. So what's your what's your thoughts? Obviously, season ahead. I know it's probably a bit harder, mate, for yourself, given it's uh, a wee bit further ahead. But um, uh, just like, I think Martin playing stuff still on follow to Friday as well. So you're not really sure who's staying, who's going. I think uh, obviously a big one for us was trying to keep uh, Nicky Cadden. He's went to Forest Green as well. I kind of expect him to go because I think he did over ten goals and ten assists for uh, for the wing basically. And, Obviously, the season got cut short and he was injured for a party as well. So, it starts like when we get a bigger team with a budget and stuff like that. We uh, Bob McHugh's away as well. Like he's been tap goal scorer for three years. He's been there as well. So, you need to try and replace him straight away, which is going to be hard. Yeah. Especially the kind of budget. Uh, I think the budget's getting cut again, if you believe in rumours as well. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. We just kind of need to wait and see what kind of team we put together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, we fan situation, obviously, but... Like, how do you think that will impact the, if, the, if when it comes around they're still not allowed anybody in? Uh, all right, it, won't really make, it won't really make much of a difference to some of the games that I mean when you play all one that but mm-hmm. I know, as I said just for a selfish point of view I just want to get back to and go to Tynecastle and stuff like that but I know it's a bit different for Celtic Rangers when you're getting 50, 60,000 you're just getting 2,000 that so I don't think yeah. it would be too an impact if I'm being honest. <laughs> Sorry, a little bit of it so like that 2,000, 3,000 for Morton man it's big money isn't it they need that, they need uh, that income. I saw you were doing a push for season tickets as well, so that's a big thing. And what I was going to say about the, the transfers and stuff, you'd be trying to wheel and deal and try and bring people in on, uh, I would imagine, aren't you? And just players that are released and stuff like that. 
think one of the good things is it came out uh, last week that um, I think it's across the board in Scottish football you can get five loan players in there as well as opposed to three. So I think that probably it was I think Bobby's got contacts in South and stuff like that. So hopefully we can use that to our advantage as well. Nice one, mate. Nice one. Um, and prediction for season ahead. What would you? What would be I mean, a dream season? Obviously, getting into playoffs. Or I've been some of them in the playoff final. <laughs> um, I, no, just to maybe finish the uh, well, last season, you would say before I kind of locked and stuff like that. were fine. So they make a stop in the playoffs then. So it's, you would take fourth, wouldn't you? <laughs> so I'll stick my neck and say fourth, and hope you'll get us up with Dunbar Livingston. <laughs> Aye. Aye, definitely, and that'll be a good season, man. So I think that's a good kind of summary, I think, for the football heads. Uh, a lot of the guys that listen to us, obviously, are big football fans one way or another. So, I think the big thing to tie it in me, obviously, and the reason we're talking about it is the positive things for our, our mental health. Sometimes, you know, being a Rangers fan, it's fucking not good for your mental health. But, oh. um, and sometimes being a football fan actually does do your nothing, doesn't it? But... There's so many things to it, like Martin, what you were saying about like being with your mates and so you know what I mean? That's that's massive. And even just having conversations about it gives you it sometimes it gives you a focus for your weekend. It does mate, it does. Um, it's been at its back get better for everybody, I think. I know, definitely, definitely. But no, I'm the first weekend. What's that? You get gubbed the first weekend, you're hitting it again. <laughs> I know, I know, that's it, man. I so obviously we're kicking off a season with uh, Aberdeen Rangers. Pitodre. Um so that's first game. And then Celtic are playing is it Hamilton? Hamilton home on a Sunday. So you obviously have get a look at the computer there and get an absolute banker. Um, well not necessarily because I'm sure when you played Hamilton at home it didn't go too well, so it could be a tricky time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. New Sorry. I was coming. I knew I was coming. <laughs> Yeah, up for that here, mate. I just wondered if you would take your bait, which you did. Oh, I would take it, you know. Well, mate, it's, it's, quite, it's, a good, it's a good start. Hopefully, we got off to a half flyer. I'm sure we will. 3 0. Uh, <laughs> after half time score. Well, I mean, I, I was trying to stay impartial, but I think the. I don't know how a season will go, to be honest with you. It's got the potential for a bit of a powder keg, man. But just with the fan situation and all that, it's just a lot of unknowns, I think. One thing to take for. What happened, as you, as you saw, in the Premier League and in other leagues, um, the nay fan situation definitely impacted teams negatively and positively. There was teams that, um, teams that came back after the break, man, and they never kicked a ball. Um, mm-hmm. And there was teams that came back and just kicked right on. I mean, look at Aston Villa, obviously, staying up. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it all goes. Um, but looking forward to it. And we'll do a wee, this is going to be one of the kind of last podcasts of this season. So by the time the next one comes in, which will probably be October, uh, we'll do another wee one of this. Um, that'll be when your season's kicking off, obviously, in the championship, Martin. And we'll see if Rangers have folded like deck chairs again. But October's <laughs> usually, we're, up. we're usually all right in October, Willie, aren't we? Aye, wait till January, February, and that's when <laughs> we need to still be tapped. Well, I'll be there to help you. I'll pick you up, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, we'll see how it goes, but cheers for your time, lads. Um, appreciate it, and we'll see how see how the football goes. And the big thing for us, which we want to say, obviously, is football is one is something that can create, you know, a lot of passion and can create friendships and you make friends through it and stuff like that. But it's also something, unfortunately, that can divide people. Um, and one thing we don't want to have it at Man On is we want to be able to talk about our football because it's something we all love and we're passionate about, but we certainly don't want it to cause any divide between people. Um, <laughs> and that goes for no matter what team you support. Um, but if you support St Mirren and you're figuring out, you'll definitely get dirty looks, but apart from that... <laughs> but I think uh, I think it's really important to know that. But you know what I mean? Like so many people fall out and argue about football and stuff. And in reality, for what we've saw with us COVID, it is literally just a game. Do you know what I mean? It gets sidelined and stuff like that. So the most important thing for us all is our own mental health and looking out for each other, regardless of what team you're supporting and stuff like that. So just a wee message for myself and the other guys, the volunteers. That's just something that's important to us. So, aye. Cheers for, uh, again, listening to this part of the uh, podcast. And cheers to you guys, obviously, for putting your time. We'll catch up with you shortly. Thanks for having me. Let's catch up. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, man. So I'm delighted to be joined by Ross, who I had mentioned in the, the, the sort of preamble before this. Um, but 
Ross is is obviously well respected in his field, and I'm I'm delighted, as I say, to get him along because it's it's somebody that I felt can offer quite a lot to our podcast and offer a lot of advice to our guys. Ross, as you'll become aware in uh, ten seconds or so, has got many hats that he wears, and hopefully we're going to be forging a very strong partnership with him moving forward. How are you doing, Ross? I'm well, thanks, Chris, for inviting me on. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much for, for coming. Um, as I say, it's a, an honour to speak to you. For the people who don't know, as I said, I've gave you a full name and your title and everything else um, in the pre-recording, but I'm just going to give you an opportunity just to sort of tell people what you do and also mm-hmm. just in terms of why you're here for this podcast, if that's okay. Sure, yeah. So <clears throat> I'm a professor of criminology and criminal justice at the University of the West of Scotland. So that's my... Uh, my main role. Uh, so I've been uh, working, uh, I started my career as a school teacher originally. Um, so I've always worked with children and young people. Uh, and then I made the transition to working in higher education 20 years ago. I worked for 10 years in Strathclyde University, then moved to UWS, where I've been for 10 years as well. And uh, a lot of my work over the last 12 to 13 years has been in criminology. Uh, And so I'm very much a gang uh, scholar. I've done a lot of research on gang culture in different parts of the world that we'll maybe touch on today. Uh, And the links with masculinity, which I'm, I'm really interested in, which we'll also talk about more today, I think. Uh, but as well as that, I also wear uh, a few other hats. Uh, so um, my work really has influenced this in many ways and also a personal interest where I've gradually uh, become very in- involved in uh, meditation. And so I'm now a fully trained uh, mindfulness practitioner. Uh, and uh, also I do dynamic breathing uh, coaching alongside that. And I also do life and performance coaching using a holistic approach that draws upon meditative approaches. So I've worked in prisons, done voluntary work in prisons with men there, uh, using these kind of tools and also with people in the community. Brilliant. So I think that's I think that's the kind of summary of where, where I am with everything at the moment. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's a lot that you do. Um, and obviously it's helping a lot of people in, in, in many ways and obviously the stuff you're mentioning there in terms of the mindfulness and stuff we're going to hopefully be, be tapping into for some of our guys who come to our group and stuff I know they're, they're very keen to reach out for some support so it's mm. great to, to have that um, and as I say honoured to have you on with obviously all your experience and, and hopefully we can offer some guidance on, on ourselves in terms of masculinity but before we move on to that I just wanted to obviously talk about um, your book um, that obviously you, you published and I had the opportunity to have a, a read um, at spe- specific chapters uh, and the book is called Gangs in Spirituality, a Global Perspective and obviously it can be found online uh, if, if people are interested in, in looking at that and as we do with everybody that comes on and have a book we'll be sort of sharing it in our, with our members and also on our social media. Uh, but the book, obviously, the, the, the chapters that you had sent to, to myself to read specifically were very, very interesting. Um, obviously, global perspective is, is the right sort of frame for it because in the, the two that, that I had read, um, you went to Scandinavia, which we'll go on to um, specifically, but you also went over to America. you able to share some of your experiences of that. I think it was LA specifically, is that correct? Yeah, that's right, LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, my work with gangs started uh, here in Glasgow uh, about uh, 12 years ago. I did my first um, research study looking at gang culture in Glasgow. At that time, it was out of control in some parts of the west of Scotland with the territorial gang violence that was found in a lot of the schemes in Glasgow in particular. Uh, and um, as the years went on, I had the, the real privileged opportunity of being able to get funding to be able to go uh, to different parts of the world. And one of the places I was really interested in was Los Angeles uh, in California. 
And that was mainly because I had become aware through the work of the Violence Reduction Unit in Scotland, uh, the way in which um, obviously a big part in the way the gang culture has reduced and the, the, the territorial violence has, has reduced has been as a result of the work of the VRU. Um, and they have always been very innovative in terms of looking outside Scotland for uh, innovative solutions. And one of the places that they had visited was Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. Uh, and so uh, at a certain point, I had the opportunity to go there. Uh, and uh, I also had met some people from Homeboy Industries uh, when I had been in Denmark attending a gang seminar there and got to know people from from the organisation. So Homeboy Industries is probably one of the biggest and most renowned gang intervention programmes, certainly in America, if not worldwide. And um, it's, I mean, obviously the gang culture there is very different from anything we would find here. Um, it's very much tied to the illicit drug markets. It's very much focused around um, uh, firearms use. Um, it's very organised, hierarchical. I mean, you've got things like Crips and Bloods, you know, so the colours, the hierarchies, the leadership, and also a whole range of um, Latino uh, gangs as well in the city. Uh, and Father Greg Boyle, who established Homeboy Industries, was originally and still is a, a Jesuit priest. Uh, and he had buried thousands, probably, of gang members over the years in the inner city of Los Angeles. Uh, and he recognised the sheer lethal absence of hope that was often the root cause of young men predominantly gravitating towards gangs. Uh, so they came from homes dominated by drug abuse and alcoholism, um, father absence often, uh, lots of adverse childhood experiences as we might describe them. And so they were fleeing from trauma, uh, basically, uh, when they were out in the streets uh, engaging in gangs. And so he established Homeboy Industries to give them that sense of hope and kinship, really, and love, you know, that they had never had anywhere else in life. And so it provides them with an 18-month program where they're working, they're, they're, they're paid while they're working in the various industries, but also a whole range of support programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, anger management, fatherhood you know, um, classes, and so on. And also a really important part is a free tattoo removal service, mm -hmm. because so often they're covered in facial tattoos as well as bodily tattoos that makes them pretty unemployable, uh, really. So that enables them to become included and have opportunities to, to, to get a job at the end of the programme. But it's an absolutely amazing programme. Uh, the minute you walk in through the door, you just feel this sense of love and kinship um, emanating um, everywhere in the organisation. So it was amazing for me to spend time. I've been there twice. Uh, and observed a lot of the uh, the programs and done lots of interviews with the trainees as they become known who are reforming gang members and often also recovering alcoholics and drug addicts as well um, and they're getting a lot of transformational um, support in the program and it's just amazing to see what the, the transformations happening there must have been a, an amazing experience for you to go over and, and see that. Um, as you said, uh, the, the violence reduction unit, um, obviously, was then created and I suppose obviously heavily linked into the work that was that was done over there. And the, the, one of the interesting lines that I'd found from um, the, that part of the book was when you were mentioning that the initial working uh, is empowering them. Um, but it's the actual individual one-to-one one support that, that can actually let them heal um, from the yeah. trauma and the stuff that they've experienced. So it's obviously yeah. a great a great programme. So I take it, obviously, you had the opportunity then, as you mentioned, to, to meet the, the, the priest who started it off then? Yes, I met Father G, as he's known, uh, <laughs> to the homeboys and homegirls. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was just, uh, it was an amazing opportunity for me to meet him. 
And yeah, I've also, I had read his book um, before I, I got there, uh, Tattoos on the Heart, yeah. um, where, I mean, it's the most wonderful read, that, uh, really, because you can laugh and cry uh, from one page to another, you know, because he tells the stories of of working with these homeboys over the years in a in an entertaining and humorous way, but also it's deeply tragic at points as well. Uh, when he talks about you know how unfortunately a lot of them lose their lives to the lifestyle as well, um, so it's hugely inspiring. And then to meet him personally was just uh, just amazing, but. Although he's a deeply religious man himself, the program is not at all about religion, you know, it's, but it has, has got a very, very deep spiritual focus, which is something quite different, quite an eclectic form of spirituality. So there's things like mindfulness, um, which is one of the reasons I became really interested in mindfulness uh, while I was there, and uh, meditation and, you know, lots of these, and just the opportunity where these trainees come up to the podium on a day-to-day basis they have a daily thought for the day reflection session at around half past eight in the morning uh, where somebody goes to the podium and shares their story and shares their recovery journey Um, and so it could be something as simply as as simple as being two years clean uh, from drugs or they've managed to get their driving license back or they've managed to get their kids back from from care um, so there's lots of celebrations and by telling their story to others it's transformational for them you know um, it's been described I mean Shad Maruna the, the criminologist from Queen's University Belfast has described it, uh, these kinds of programs as producing wounded healers and that's really what I saw, you know, they were, by sharing their stories and their journeys, they were supporting and healing each other. So there's a real sense of um, a, a therapeutic community, really, within the place. Yeah, sounds it. No, it's nice words, I think, in terms of summing it up for, for what it does. And obviously your, your book then takes you on a a journey. I don't know if that was before or, or after, but um, it certainly comes after it in the book to Denmark. Um, and mm-hmm. within that, obviously, you've mentioned Denmark already. I don't know if you're you're wanting to sort of share some of your experiences in in Denmark as well for us, because as I say, it's very interesting stuff. Yeah, well, it was a kind of natural progression. Although I had been to Denmark a few times before, Los Angeles. Uh, what I, I came back from Los Angeles with was a deep interest in things like meditation. And so uh, I then discovered during one of my visits to, to Copenhagen, this program, um, which is called Breathe Smart. Uh, and uh, it has a twin program called Prison Smart. And what these programs do is uh, they introduce people to um, uh, meditation and dynamic breathing uh, exercises and practices and the prison smart program um, introduces men in prisons uh, to these practices so it's called uh, Sadarshan Kriya Yoga uh, so it's based on the teachings of um, the Indian spiritual leader Sri Sri Ravi Shankar who established the Art of Living program in the early 1980s and basically, it combines things like the ujjayi breathing, which is kind of deep inhalations of and exhalations of breath, cyclical breathing uh, practices, uh, with hatha yoga postures, and also deep meditation. And uh, I mean, when I went into the prisons uh, over there in various parts of Denmark and met some of these guys. Uh, they were former motorcycle gang members. Uh, probably some of them could be described as having been the most dangerous and violent men in Danish society. You know, they had been involved, some of them had murder convictions, double murder convictions. They'd been involved in serious violence, um, in torture, uh, all sorts of organized criminality. A lot of them had been drug dealers. Uh, big big guys a lot of them had been bodybuilders you know within the context of the motorcycle clubs um, but 
what were they doing? They were sitting meditating, you know, and they were doing yoga. It wasn't really the first thing you would have expected. Um, and it was as a result of this program. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was amazing the transformations that they had had as well, because they were now deeply peaceful um, individuals who had been meditating for some time and it had really, it had really changed their whole sense of identity in lots of cases. That must have been fascinating to obviously, as you say, that the most dangerous men in that country's society, um, it's watching them meditate and sort of transform it a little bit. Um, yeah. So did your, did your um, book, obviously that was the two chapters that, that I had managed to read in the short time, obviously, that you'd sent it and I will read the rest, but did your book take you on any further um, travels or was it specifically LA and uh, Denmark? Well, no, I actually did, um, I also did some further work in Scotland, uh, working in uh, with young offenders in prison here uh, and uh, looked at some of the spiritual connections they were developing. For instance, some of them had started working with prison chaplaincy uh, and uh, looking at how that supported them on a personal level in terms of pastoral support, but in some cases also helped them to either discover or rekindle an interest in religion and Christian faith or Islamic faith while they were in prison that helped them in their recovery. Uh, and uh, the assistance journey and then I also worked finally in Hong Kong as well uh, where I had the opportunity to work with former triad gang members uh, which was quite different again as you can imagine you know I mean highly highly organized forms of criminality some of them they were basically businessmen Mm-hmm. Um, who for many, many years, some of them were much, much older by the time I met them in their 50s or 60s. Uh, they had been very involved in the triad gang culture. And they also uh, were finding a source of <coughs> healing and transformation through a Christian religious intervention program that they'd become involved in. And they began to reconceptualize themselves as Christians instead of you know, offenders and criminals. So that was really quite interesting as well. I mean, how, so how did it, obviously I'm, I'm kind of, you're telling me these stories, right, of these people, and it's the stuff you see on your, your news and your TV and stuff and films. How did they receive a, you know, a Scottish guy like yourself going over? Were they, were they all really welcoming and happy to see you, or was there any barriers? Yeah, it's quite interesting. I've always found it quite, um, well, not easy. I mean, you do have to spend a bit of time building trust. I've, I found that from day one, yeah. you know, just parachuting in and expecting these guys to be able to open up and, and talk to you and sit down and do it. Even the word interview can sometimes conjure up a bit of paranoia <laughs> among them. It makes them think immediately about a police interview. But so I always have to spend a bit of time getting to know them informally, building a bit of trust. But I have found often that um, sometimes being from another country uh, can be an advantage because they're they're always quite interested, you know, in your in your accent, particularly in America. I have to say, they they they, they do tend to love the Scottish accent, and uh, and also what I find is they probably spend a bit more time explaining things to me because they know I'm not from the same culture. You know, so they maybe spend a bit more time talking about the gang culture. And I found that when I worked with the police as well, they spend more time talking about their job and their role than maybe they would to a native um, researcher. Yeah. So I, I, I sometimes find that quite, you know, quite useful. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Thanks for, for sharing all that stuff about the book. And as I say, we'll be putting it up on our social media channels and, and stuff so that people can, if they're, they're interested following this, they can have a look at it, which I'm sure loads will. Obviously, the, the main reason that I had been really keen to get you on was to, to sort of link masculinity to our service and for our men, obviously, that, that come for support. And I had a look on the, the, the sort of dictionary definition of masculinity, just in case anybody's listening and they're, they're thinking it's maybe one thing or another. It's, it's only a couple of words, but I'll read it out. Um, 
masculinity is the characteristics that are traditionally thought to be typical of or suitable for men. So, yeah, the characteristics of, of a man that people would sort of try and attach to, to yourself, so obviously, you know far more about this subject than I do, so I'll stop uh, talking on it, but I was just look really keen for you to even just tell us a bit about masculinity, even maybe on your, your, your journeys, and then even try and link it into to obviously men's mental health, which we know is a real issue at the minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, to me, uh, I always go back to uh, Raywin Cornell's work, which she's a, a sociologist uh, who's done, she's probably the seminal uh, researcher of the field in terms of masculinity. And she always describes it as masculinities rather than masculinity, because like everything else, it's on a spectrum, really. Um, and it's socially constructed uh, in many ways. And so, um, you know, in typical Western societies, um, it tends to be, uh, Cornell also talks about hegemonic masculinity. So um, what that looks like uh, in Western societies tends to be about things like physicality, you know, people associate it with um, uh, being physical, uh, maybe fierce, fiercely independent, uh, confidence, um, and also the rejection of anything that's remotely seen to be soft, feminine, or weak. Uh, and often that is how masculinity is constructed, for instance, through the media, through movies and television, and through you know, our dominant institutions. Uh, and so a lot of men grow up thinking, you know, as a result, you know, it's not masculine to cry, for instance, as a typical one, you know, because that's something that's, you know, it's kind of instilled into so many boys, you know, from a young age that you've got to act in a certain way um, to be considered a man. And so a lot of boys grow up self-policing their own masculinity and policing others as well. Uh, and in actual fact, what Raymond Cornell argues and what others have argued um, is that masculinity is much broader than that. And uh, there's a spectrum. And actually, uh, you know, it's perfectly acceptable um, to, to cry, to show emotion, um, to do all these other things that society sometimes tells us, you know, is not associated with masculinity. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I think that sums it up for me as well because we've got so many men who come to our, our service, obviously, and they're, they're speaking out for the first time about their problems or their worries, or you know, it might not even be anything relating to you know trauma. It just might be that they're, they're having a struggle during the coronavirus, but they, they feel they can't talk to anybody. They're yeah. seen the sort of man of the house. Um, so they don't want to let their guard down and, and come across as weak, as they say. So we're doing a lot of work on, on masculinity, probably without labelling it as, as that, but we're trying to sort of get people to, you know, really engage with the fact that it's okay to talk about this stuff, and, and we are offering a place online just now and physically in the future for people to come in and offload and talk about stuff, and it doesn't always need to be about your mental health it might just be that you're having a difficult day and it's okay to verbalize that and we we have found as well and um, which i'm sure you've found at some point and it's obviously loads of links to research and stuff but for guys who do have delved this stuff down they've learned to cope with that in other ways such as alcohol drugs and and you know we we obviously are, are dealing with a, a real pandemic of suicides in inverclyde not just yeah. you know, but we are one of the highest cat sort of numbers in the country. So, masculinity, I think, plays a, a a huge part in that because I think men, unfortunately, aren't feel able to to talk about their stuff. So, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it manifests in different ways, which is obviously scary for for ourselves. Definitely, because I mean that's certainly something that I have found. Although the book. Uh, that we talked about is called Gangs and Spirituality. Actually, the book is all about masculinity because that's the thing that holds it all together because it was all men uh, that I worked with. 
uh, and so often the reasons they were involved in gangs and what they were doing within the gang culture was an expression of masculinity. Uh, so this kind of whole tough guy uh, thing, you know, so where maybe they hadn't had father figures or positive father figure role models at home and where they had a, a lack of opportunities. So for instance, they grew up com in communities where there was no hope of getting a job mm. in the post-industrial deindustrialization uh, era. Uh, often then violence, aggression and violence became a means of expressing the masculinity because these other opportunities were not available and because they'd never had, they were looking for male attachment as well which is why the gangs were so appealing to them because it, it offers them a brotherhood or it seems to offer them a brotherhood. But actually, ultimately, what they just introduced them to is more trauma uh, because then when they become deeply involved in the violence, uh, they then witness violence. A lot of the guys I've worked with have had PTSD uh, because of that. Uh, lots and lots of trauma. And ultimately, then that leads to the addiction and dependency issues where they self-medicate on alcohol and drugs to be able to, to deal with that. Um, and also because it's, they feel it's not socially acceptable to open up and to get vulnerable and talk about their feelings and their emotions. And the only kind of emotion that seemed to be socially acceptable to them is anger because that's the way they have been, you know, um, that's the way they have, have learned um, over the years. So, you know, I think it's a real issue. But what I always have found is that underneath the tough exterior of these guys that I've worked with lies a huge layer of vulnerability underneath. And often I think the violence and the criminality is actually an expression of vulnerability. And I think that's why we need to look beyond the outward behaviour of some boys and young men that become involved in, whether it's violence or whether it's addiction issues. Actually, um, let's look below the surface. This is actually about vulnerability. Um, but they, they often don't know any other ways of expressing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'd share that. A really powerful image. I'm not. I'm unsure who it was from, but I shared it on our social media, and it was sort of the same person, but in four frames. And the uh, the first picture was it was a cartoon drawing, but it was a, an angry. The guy was angry, very very angry. The next one, it's sort of less angry. Um, the one underneath that, it's like sort of mask comes off, and it's yeah. tears. Um, and then the next mask is like as if it's him in his own head, and it's a child, basically him sitting down and facing into a corner being really upset so we shared yeah. that and it got a, a big reaction um, because it is really important to understand what's behind the behavior or what's behind yeah. somebody that's go you know somebody that presenting as you know, drug addiction or violent in the in the community there's there's as you say there's reasons for that and we are hopefully able to facilitate conversations with those guys because we want to really you know support them with that yeah. yeah, let them know that they're, they're listened to and, and they're valued. Definitely. It's, it's really, really important. Definitely. So, and I think it's great to see so many of these men's groups emerging yeah. uh, because it gives these guys, it gives men a place, I think, to open up where they feel a bit more comfortable doing so, you know, with other men in these safe environments. Uh, because when you look at the statistics, you know, record numbers of suicides, you know, the huge increase that there was, I think it was 15% and 50% increase among 15 to 24 year olds in Scotland last year, and also the drug related deaths. And the vast majority of these statistics are men, you know, so it's, I think it's, it, it's really encouraging to see these groups and that it is becoming much more socially acceptable for men to open up and to get vulnerable and talk about their emotions. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is, it's good. And we've been inspired by other groups across the country and felt that it was important for ourselves to try and do something. Um, we, we started off before COVID, um, just a small group of guys meeting for a coffee. But when COVID sort of broke and we were very aware of the impact this was going to have on people's mental health, we then went online and we've supported quite a lot of people. So 
it's been yeah. really nice for us to see that. Um, people are opening up as well on a daily basis and supporting each other. So it's, it's yeah. forming a wee bit of a community down here, I think, in terms of you know your mental health and getting support and supporting each other. So That's we'll see where, see where it goes. Uh, podcasts like this obviously are informative for myself, but also informative for the guys because I think, you know, there's going to definitely be people who this resonates with in terms of their anger, uh, showing their anger, where that comes from, having think, you know, a thought about, you know, things that have happened in the past and stuff like that. So it's really, really important. But one thing I wanted to link as well, which I think is very important to do that, is masculinity and accessing supports like mindfulness and meditation, because obviously you've shared uh, you know some powerful stories in regards to you know the people in Denmark and obviously LA mm-hmm. and I, I've found when I've went to the guys in the group specifically regarding you know mindfulness and stuff I was a bit apprehensive because I thought they wouldn't be up for it due to the masculinity probably you know but a lot of them are really really keen um, and I was pleasantly surprised about that but I was just looking to kind of get your, your views on the links between the two because I would imagine that can be a barrier for men accessing you know, the likes of meditation and, and mindfulness. But once they get over that barrier, it, it must unlock so many doors, as you've mentioned, for the guys that you've worked with. Definitely. I mean, it's interesting how I think things have moved on quite a lot in Scotland over the last, just in the last few years, because I did the work originally in Denmark in 2016. Uh, and I remember coming back so full of enthusiasm about all this meditation stuff. And there were a few occasions where I talked in front of audiences and there were a few people really cynical and uh, saying, "Ah, you know, that's all right for the Scandinavians, you know, but we've got the real tough guys here, you know, it's it's not going to work. But a couple of things I would say about that is, first of all, the guys in, in Denmark were real tough guys, you know, and a lot of them were very, very unsure to begin with about doing things like yoga and meditating because they did see it as maybe something that was maybe a wee bit soft and feminine but then once they got into it they just absolutely loved it because I think also there was a lot of dynamic cyclical breathing that felt quite physical for them and the yoga they were surprised to find it was really quite physically challenging and then the meditation and it was beginning to enable them to view masculinity differently So over time, it didn't happen overnight, you know, some of them had been meditating for quite a long time by the time I met them, but they began to associate masculinity with being a good father figure, being a a good husband or partner, uh, being kind, supportive, giving back to others, um, all of these kinds of things, rather than associating it with the violence and the gangs and the aggression. Um, But... uh, Certainly, I've seen a change in Scotland over the last few years where there's a much there's a much more much more openness than there used to be, I think, among men towards these things. And I've been doing quite a lot of work over the last 18 months in Berlin, for instance, going in to work with the men in the recovery cafe in Berlin through an organization called Cisco, Natalie Logan. Um, runs where it's guys that have addictions uh, they're coming together in the recovery cafe and uh, I have had them sitting for 20 minutes or more meditating you know and loving it and finding it it is really helping them to reduce their their cravings and their addictions and now they're practicing quite regularly in their own cells and so I thought well if this can work in Berlin you know um, then you know it can work anywhere and uh, I think that, that, that there is a real cultural openness emerging in Scotland which is great to, towards these things than it was before. Brilliant, it's good, to, it's good to know that it is changing because there are so many benefits to doing that stuff for people in terms of pr- promoting positive mental health um, and finding ways to cope with you know the thoughts and feelings so it's massive. Yeah. Um, I think as well what you were saying, which which I was really interested in, was the the change in terms of the masculinity and, and how that you know shows in a man. So you're saying it's being a good husband or a, a partner, being a good uh, father, 
you know, looking after people, showing kindness to others. So it's really interesting that that's been a been a shift, and that's something that that we've been pretty big on in terms of, you know, opening up because opening up is a shy, a sign of strength. You know, it's a sign that you are, you know, really coping with with your stuff because you're starting to talk to people. So yeah, we're we're trying to switch things about. As I say, maybe not labelled it as as masculinity, but with this. A podcast we'll be aiming to to do that um, and our aim as I said is, is to prevent suicide so moving forward we'll be really keen for you know guys to access things like mindfulness and I know that a couple of the guys are going to be reaching out to support from yourself for one of your other hats I think which is obviously life coaching and that's correct isn't it yeah yeah that's right no that's that's great uh-huh yeah um yeah because I think you know it's I think it's quite a difficult time for young men just now. Um, I think, uh, I mean, some people suggest, you know, that maybe there's a war on men uh, just now. I don't think that's the case. Um, I mean, I think there are things culturally that have had to change, that needed to change for a long time. Um, and there's been some some really great things that have emerged from, you know, feminist movements. But I think, you know, sometimes there are phrases thrown around like toxic masculinity that I think isn't helpful. You know, I think that's a very negative type of terminology. I think the vast majority of men um, are, are are supportive and they're they're up for embracing uh, change uh, and uh, they're, but I think, you know, in the past, you know, there maybe has been a minority that has become involved in kind of you know, negative behaviour that has maybe created this terminology, toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. But I like to look at the positive aspects of masculinity and how can we really work with boys and young men? Um, How can we give them the opportunity to take on leadership roles in a positive way, um, to work with women, to be family members, to talk about their emotions and, you know, all of these positive things? Uh, yeah, so I think it, it's important to have all these conversations. I think. Yeah, definitely. No, it's great, and it's good to hear that. I think because it's conversations. I say we're going to be having moving forward. And one thing that we always get, you know, our guests on the podcast to do is to share a bit of their wisdom or their words for any of the guys that are listening that may be listening because they're struggling, um, or have been through their own struggles. So yeah, if you were to have a conversation with somebody who from one of your guys come up and says, look, I'm really struggling just now. What would be your tips or advice to them? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I would always say um, to, to make sure that they're talking, you know, to someone that they're, they're not afraid to open up uh, because I think there is a real um, change, as I've said, in terms of the cultural openness to that. There's a huge, I mean, everybody from rappers to footballers to members of the royal family, you know, are talking about men's mental health. Now, it's not, there's not the same stigma around them, or it shouldn't be. Uh, and so it's okay to, to not feel okay. Uh, because I think, you know, there was a survey by the Samaritans done uh, last year that suggested that two thirds of men who were surveyed still said that if they were struggling with something, they tried to solve their problems on their own. And I don't think that is helpful. You know, I think I think men need to know that it's okay to turn towards somebody else for support and to open up and to admit that they've got a, a problem. Um, so I would point them in the direction of all these men's groups, like your own um, Man On uh, group that, ex- that exists. There is plenty of support out there. And I would also, just because I'm so passionate about mindfulness, I would always suggest to them doing a little bit of um, the dynamic breathing, doing a little bit of the meditation. Because what I've found with so many men I've worked with is that it creates a space between thought and action. And sometimes when we have all these, as we all do, difficult thoughts, uh, intrusive thoughts, um, we have these where low mood affects us, and particularly, I think, over the last few months, uh, it's been hard for everybody during lockdown and the enormity of the changes that we're facing in the world on a daily basis just now. Uh, and sometimes it can feel really difficult um, in our minds, but sometimes just taking a breath 
and sitting for a few moments and rather than trying to solve those issues um, or make those feelings go away, to just sit with them, to breathe with them um, and allow them to be there. And gradually we recognise that everything passes, actually. Moods, emotions, thoughts wax and wane. Uh, and I think that's what the gift of mindfulness does. It enables us to just sit in the moment, to observe in a dispassionate way, uh, and ultimately to recognise patterns over time that actually, you know, things do pass, uh, uh, but also the need for opening up and, and talking, I think, is vitally important. Brilliant. No, that's some really good advice there, and hopefully anybody that, that is listening at the minute um, is able to to follow some of that stuff and moving forward from from this we're going to be sharing as I say a lot of stuff on our social media from this your book and also mindfulness stuff that, that people can you know really try and tune into with the sort of breathing exercises and as I say hopefully moving forward we, we can link in and have conversations about how we can support our guys so just yeah. really appreciate obviously you taking your time out from your your busy schedule and you know getting in touch with us and, and recording the podcast and looking forward to doing some work with you moving forward that's great thanks very much chris it's been a privilege for me to do this thanks for inviting me thank you thanks very much Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Man On Podcast. We'll be finishing up this season with a podcast recording next week. Totally focus on suicide prevention. Thanks for all your support so far.